Good evening. Once again, it's a blessing to be here. I'm so glad that God has given us the, the opportunity to come and visit. And obviously, um, the main, one of the main reasons we were here is to visit uh, Lydia and Tim and uh, our grandson Titus. We've enjoyed our time with him. Uh, it's just um, difficult to realize that my grandson is only two and a half years old with the way he answers I don't know where he gets his intelligence from. I guess it's genetic, but, you know. <laughs> we have to be humble, you see. You know. I am proud to be humble, by the way. <laughs> the other day, we were uh, driving through um, Langley, and uh, Lydia said, oh, I like those condos. I'd like to one day live in one of those, or somehow something like that. And we didn't realize Titus was listening. He says, I want to live in there, too, <laughs> because my house is like a box. Been, he's been t- t- teaching him all these things, but amazing how little children pick up things. And, uh, but it's, uh, it's so good to be here, so good to see all of you again. And of course, our trip is about to wrap up and to finish, and we're heading back down to Paraguay and uh, face reality. So we ask for your prayers continually, and we, we know that you're praying for us, and we thank you for it. We thank you for your support. But like what the pastor said earlier, we're hoping to have our, um, our missions conference this year, our first one. Uh, we are certainly trying to lead our ministry there in the directions that we believe God would have it go as far as uh, growing, not just um, numerically, although that is also a blessing, but more so in, in their depth of spiritu- spirituality and faith. We would, we would like for them to realize that God has been good in providing uh, our facilities, the infrastructure that we have needed so far to do the work, but now I believe that God wants us to also take care of his business, which is the salvation of souls and the training of men and uh, Lord willing, the establishment of churches, not just in Paraguay, but throughout South America. And I believe that God wants me to just uh, spearhead, if you like, the momentum and pray that I would be able to uh, transfer that vision and that passion onto the Paraguayan brethren and pray that they would be able to take on the baton and and run with it. And hopefully as the Lord prepares to come back, we will see more Paraguayan souls brought to Jesus Christ. Um, It was an interesting trip too when I went to the Philippines recently, but the highlight of course was being able to preach at a reunion of all the churches and and pastors that are now pastoring those churches that my father had the privilege of starting 24 churches all up, and there were about 400 people gathered together. And that's just one ministry, if you like, from one ministry, one person that the Lord had blessed over the years. And it got me thinking, if God could do that with one person, imagine if all of us could be used by God to impact the world in some way, shape, or form. Might not be in that magnitude, but somehow it was a rewarding thing to see. That my dad, at the age of 79, almost 80, uh, the Lord has used him to, to reach those people over the years. Please take your Bibles. Let's go to the book of um, Hebrews. When Pastor mentioned about living by faith, as what was mentioned in the message this morning, I'm beginning to wonder if he used the same text that I'm using tonight. But if it happens to be so, I want you to know he did not call me. He did not tell me about what text to preach from. Uh, By the way, I encourage you to, uh, by faith, 
getting the vision of, um, you know, sacrificing to buy those nice chairs. Um, I have no problems with the pews, but I'm pretty sure you can agree you can fit more people in here with those kind of chairs, and you can use this auditorium in multiple ways if you had chairs that you can stack up and put away. So, you know, I agree with the decision. I say that because uh, I don't want to be at odds with pastor, of course. <laughs> Is there anything else? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11, your Bibles. Uh, we're going to look at just a few verses here to begin with tonight. Yohan uh, asked me what the title of the message was. I said, the, the anatomy of faith. He says, oh, that sounds deep. I said, don't be fooled. That's just a title. <laughs> Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained, a, uh, he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, once again we come to you tonight, and we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that though we are earthen vessels, full of weaknesses, prone to wander, prone to sin, and yet by your grace you saved us, and by your grace you're helping us to live a sanctified life, in spite of that, though we struggle at times, and yet somehow, dear Lord, you have said in your word that it's not about our performance. It's about our dependence upon you that pleases you. And help us, Lord, to learn the life of dependence, or the life of abiding in Christ, that we might be fruitful and bring you glory and honor with our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we find here, of course, in the book of Hebrews, the key to the word faith. Now, many people wrestle with the idea of faith. What is faith? And tonight, as we talk about the anatomy of faith, we'll talk about what faith is not. Then let's talk about how faith is described in the Bible. And then later on, in application, let's look at why faith is important. We know, of course, according to verse 6, that faith is a necessary ingredient when, we, when it comes to pleasing God. It's interesting that the Bible doesn't say God is pleased when uh, we can memorize Scripture, although that is important. The Bible doesn't talk about our performance, per se, in the Christian service as the key to God being pleased with us, all of that, rather, should be the result of being able to live by faith. Because anything that is done out of faith is sin. I mean, we can perform. I've seen people perform tremendously, 
doing great things without faith, just by sheer talent and ability, they can do great things. But God doesn't call us to do that which is great. God calls us to do that which is impossible. Because only by doing that which is impossible can we experience the power of God, and only then can we truly give glory to God. Because if I do anything great, I can look back and say, you know what? That's because I've been good. I did that. But if I look back and I say, I don't know how that happened, God did it, then he gets the glory, not me. That's why the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible. The Bible doesn't say, without faith, it is complicated. The Bible doesn't say, without faith, it is kind of difficult. No, the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So that's why it's important for us to understand what faith is. Years ago, the captain of a large vessel set sail with his family from Liverpool, England, of course. His destination was New York. One night when everyone was asleep, a sudden storm arose. The wind came, sweeping over the water, struck the vessel, and almost capsized it. Everything that was movable was sent tumbling and crashing, and the passengers became aware that they were in danger. Everyone was alarmed, and many sprang from their beds and began to dress. But the captain's little daughter, just eight years old, was awakened and frightened. She cried and said, what's the matter? What's happening? They told her the situation. And then she asked, is my dad on deck? Is the captain on deck? When they said yes, she went back to bed. Pulled, pulled her blanket over her and slept again like a, like a baby. She was assured and she was certain that as long as father is on deck, everything's going to turn out right. You know, children have that capacity to trust their dads. I remember years ago I was uh, talking to a young, young boy about eight years old with another preacher. We were talking to him about certain things. And this other preacher began to argue with him, and he says, no, you've got it wrong. And he said, the boy said, no, it's, I'm, I'm right. And the preacher said, how do you know you're right? He said, well, my father said so. It's, that's what my dad says. And the preacher says, your dad is wrong. And this boy said, no, my dad is never wrong. That gives us rather a fearful responsibility, fathers, to make sure that we do not Somehow, there's a word that left my mind again. It, I, I know it in Spanish. I forgot the word. Disappoint is the word I'm looking for. That we do not disappoint our children when they trust us to know the right thing and do the right thing and then eventually disappoint them because we are fraud. So we find that the, 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 the story is that every Christian should have the same attitude as this little girl. That when we face the rough seas and stormy days of life, we are to live by faith. And know that everything's all right as long as our God is holding the wheel of control. Now we find here that the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things 
not seen. Before we look at what the Bible description and definition of faith is, let's talk about what faith is not. The fallacies surrounding faith. Some people think that faith is a blind leap. In Spanish, in Paraguay, people say, tengo fe, which means I have faith. In what? I don't know. I just have this good feeling about it. Sometimes they think that faith is a positive thought. Sorry, I'm spraying all over here. Holy water. <laughs> they think that, um, you know, a blind leap into the darkness just because they have a good feeling is faith. Oh, I've got this good feeling. I dreamt last night a good combination of numbers. I'm going to the lottery ticket, uh, lottery center and buy, buy a ticket. I've got faith. Well, that's not faith. Faith is not positive thought. You know, if I had to base my decisions on a positive thinking, a positive feeling, I would be disappointed because I had high dreams. I had high hopes. When I was in high school, I wanted to be in the Olympics and eventually play in the PBA. I had a good feeling. But those good feelings weren't going to bring me anywhere near success. By the way, just because you have peace about something does not necessarily mean to say it's God's will for you. Some people say just follow your heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So don't follow your heart. Faith is not a blank check. We have some churches in Paraguay that we call name it and claim it kind of churches. They say to you that God has uh, given a promise that you are going to be prosperous. Last time I checked, the only prosperity promise to anybody was coming from the devil when he said to the Lord Jesus Christ, all these kingdoms I give unto you if you fall down and worship me. There's no promise in the scriptures anywhere from God to his children saying, you're going to be rich and healthy and irresistible. That's a jingle for a commercial back in the 80s. But anyway, some people think that just because you're a faithful Christian, God owes you wealth and prosperity. So by faith, they say, bring a key to the church house. And God would turn that key into a house or into a car. I always say, if God refused to turn stones into bread, what makes you think he's going to turn a key into a house? Some people think that faith is a bad choice. That it's only for the weak people. That you somehow have to make it yourself. You've got to use some tenacity, some talent, some, some perseverance and persistence and hard work. Don't depend on anybody. Just believe in yourself. And to have faith absolutely in God is foolish. But then anyway, we find that the Bible says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is defined and described in verse 1 as it says that faith makes things that are hoped for as real as the things that are, and it provides the unshakable evidence of things that are ours as a result of our relationship in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, someone said that to a, a skeptic, no evidence will be ever enough. No matter what you do, if somebody re refuses to believe, there's not an evidence that is sufficient. 
you'll find that the people who refuse to believe the word of God would find alternative explanations to the miracles that are found in the scriptures. They would try and explain it away, but to a believer, no evidence is necessary. Because if you believe, your faith is counted as evidence, according to scriptures. How do I know that God is creator? Even before looking into science, even before looking into the existing world, even before listening to the words of a physicist or a mathematician, how do I know that God created the world? Faith is the evidence. I know because I know because I know because I believe in a God who cannot lie and his word is reliable. So faith is a substance of things hoped for. They become real to you when you truly believe God. And what is promised to you as invisible possession becomes a reality when you truly believe the word of God. The reason is because God cannot lie. And his word has always stood the tests of time. And his word is eternal. Now, thankfully, the author of Hebrews, and by the way, we know that the book of Hebrews is written to believers who are of Hebrew origin, who are struggling between grace and faith, grace and law, who are struggling between the simplicity of faith in Christ and the order of offerings and sacrifices of the Old Testament. And in fact, if you look at chapter 12, in verse 1, we'll come back to verse chapter 11, of course. The author says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about the testimony of the people in chapter 11, they are the cloud of witnesses, although we do not believe necessarily that they were looking down from heaven as we previously, previously would have been thought that they had somehow these little monitors and they're looking at us and cheering us from heaven. I believe that more so, just like when you walk into a champion's hallway in Melbourne at the, the tennis center in Melbourne, the hallway is decorated with the pictures of the champions, past champions. And as you walk, it is as if like their achievements are there to cheer you on. They inspire you to achieve, achieve great things in the sport. Now, as we look through the whole of faith in chapter 11, we find that these are the witnesses that spur us on and they cheer us on to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. When we look at the sin that easily besets us, of course we can apply this to whatever weakness we have, but as we study the context of the book of Hebrews, the sin that did easily beset the Hebrew Christians was unbelief. This was the sin that caused them to, many of them, to fail to enter into the land of promise. Many of them died in the wilderness, and in fact, many of them were swallowed up by the ground because of their unbelief, and the unbelief that they had caused them to rebel against the, the man of God, and God was so furious with them that God opened up hell and swallowed them up all in one day. All because they could not come to the point where they believe, simply believe in God. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Many people suffer from heart attacks, spiritually speaking, simply because they could not take God at his word. 
It's just too hard to believe sometimes. We're like Thomas. To see is to believe. But did you know that the opposite is true? To believe is to see. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now we find, as we look at this men mentioned in chapter 11. Let's go back to chapter 11 now. That these men did great things, and we're just going to look at them briefly. And by faith, they really achieved tremendous feats that honored God. Like I said, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But with faith, even just, the Bible says, the size of a mustard seed, you and I can move mountains. I'm sure you, you and I know how big a mustard seed is. It's tiny, really tiny. The Lord says, you have, you have faith that size. You can move mountains. When was the last time you moved a mountain? When was the last time you prayed, you really prayed and you really believed because you saw it in the word of God? God convinced you from his, from his word that this is what he wants you to do and you really trusted God. And God made sure that your faith was honored. You know, I'm not bragging. You come to Paraguay today, you'll find a 3,000 square meter property with a couple of buildings sitting on it. That in the beginning, when I looked at that property, I said, Lord, this is going to be impossible. I kid you not when I tell you that when my wife and I visited that property, they told us how much it was going to cost. I said, Lord, I don't even have $15 in my pocket right now. But if this is what you're giving us, because we know you want us to have a property here from where we can preach the word and we can bring people over. I said, and I'll trust you. And today, it's there. And as I look back, I wish I could tell you a great success. I wish I could write a book on how to obtain property on the foreign field. I wish I could tell you the step-by-step -step process. I couldn't. All I could tell you is this. One night, I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, these people are counting on you to show them through the faith of your servant that our God is real. We find in the scriptures the example of certain people. We find the Bible says in verse 4 that Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice by faith. By faith. He didn't know how it was going to turn out. There was no Sunday school class that would teach him how to do, what to do. We find that simply he trusted in what he would have been given by his parents as a promise of God. And so he offered his worship to God according to God's word. It's not according to, you know, Cain said, you know what, Abel, you're going to offer a lamb to God? Look at my sacrifice. I'm just imagining. I'm just, you know, my imagination's just kicking in right now. That... Cain being a tiller of the ground and being a farmer, that he would have set his fruits and vegetables in such a, an array that they, they were wonderful to look at. I don't know if you've seen pictures of a monkey temple in Cambodia where they offer fruits to those monkeys. 
go to the, to their gods and the monkeys come and devour them. But they, they arrange them in such a beautiful uh, decoration only for the monkeys to come and eat them. I would sometimes wonder what the effort is for if only monkeys benefit from it. Their gods could not even eat because they're made of stone. But I can imagine that that's where that comes from, from Cain. The form of worship, human, human invented kind of worship, trying to worship God, trying to please God with human effort. And God says, no, that's not going to work with me. What works is when I say something, you do it according to my plan. And Abel offered unto God an excellent sacrifice. God accepted it. Enoch, the Bible says in verses 5 and 6, received the first plane ride tree. First class, by the way. His destination, heaven. The first person to not taste physical death was Enoch, which is because he walked with God by faith. Daily he walked with God, and one day God said, you know what, Enoch, we, we have walked long enough together. You're so far away from your home, you're closer to mine. Let's just go home together. What a wonderful testimony, right? You just walk with God day after day after day, just enjoying fellowship with God, trusting in the Lord. And God says, come. You don't have to even taste physical death. And the only chance we could experience that is if we are alive when the rapture comes. I wish it would happen in our lifetime, right? We just never know. The Bible says, be also ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. It could be tonight. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it, he came tonight? We all go up. Bye, goodbye world, goodbye. Goodbye insurance payments. Goodbye mortgages. Noah built an ark, verse 7, and survived the flood because his faith floated on the promise of the Lord. Before then there were no floods, before then there were no oceans, but he built an ark because God said so. And God was pleased by the faith of Noah. In verses 8 and 9, Abraham left home and country. The Bible says he went where he didn't know where to go simply because God said, go this way, and he went. You can imagine Sarah asking Noah, oh, Abraham one day, saying, honey, where are we going? How come we're packing? Abraham saying, I don't know. God said to move. If, if Sarah was anything like modern women nowadays, she would probably have said, go, I'll stay with dad and mom until you figure out yourself what you really want to do. One of the hardest things to do is move from family and friends and go to a foreign field where you don't know how you're going how, how to how manage. But because God said, Abraham, go. He went. Many occasions in his life, Abraham just did what the Lord said to do, even when he, would, he didn't understand the implications that is faith. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph all died in faith, looking to the fulfillment of the promises of the Lord. They did not see the coming of the Lord himself, the Messiah himself, but they looked towards it with faith. Verses 23 to 29, we find that Moses forsook Egypt. I'm sure you can read all these later on, and you've studied these in part, some of you. 
But you'll find that Moses, the Bible says, refused the pleasures of sin for a season just so he could be with the people of God. Of course, sin has pleasure, but for a season. It takes faith to turn oneself away from the temptations of this world and sin itself and live a life of surrender in holiness, knowing that God will honor his faith. In verse 30, we find that Israel conquered Jericho because of faith in a promise from God. Well, that's one of the more interesting stories in the Bible, right? When Joshua got up one morning and the Lord says to him, Joshua, by the way, today we're going to conquer Jericho. We're going to start the process anyways. So here's the plan. Here's the battle plan, Jer uh, Joshua. I want you to gather all the men and the women together and the soldiers together. And I want you to march around the walls of Jericho just once today. Any modern army would say, Lord, so when do we attack? Just give us the word. We're ready. The Lord says, no, you're not going to attack anybody. The battle is the Lord's. It's already won. Just want you to follow the plan. By the way, Joshua did not contest the issue with God. He did not complain. He just said, all right, people, God says to march around the walls. Let's go, march. First day, second day, third day, the same thing. I'm sure many of them were beginning to wonder what they were going to do on the sixth day. They did the same thing. And then on the seventh day, Joshua said, Let's gonna, we're going to do a bit, uh, something a little bit different today. I'm pretty sure some of them were sharpening their, 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 their swords. Beginning to wonder today, we might kill some, um, some pagans. I don't know what the, you call the people of Jericho. How you describe them. But he says, no, today we're going to march seven times. It is a ridiculous plan, humanly speaking. It made no sense. It's tiring. It's tedious. It's boring. It's like coming to church Sunday after Sunday. It's the same thing over and over again. Why do we do it? Because God says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. It's God's plan. You might not see what the benefit is right now, but one day you'll see the result. I remember the story of a man who one day said, Lord, there's a stone in front of my house. I could not see the sunrise as the sun comes up. From my front window, I'd like for you to move the stone. God says, you know what? Get out of there and push, on this, push the stone away. So every morning he went, tried to push a big boulder away. Nothing happened. After a year, he went back to God and said, Lord, for a year now, I've been trying to push that stone away. Nothing's happening. You haven't moved it. But the Lord says to him, every time he come, came out, did you see the sunrise? Yes, I did. Now look at your arms. Are they not more muscly? Are you not stronger because of the process? You had vitamin D because of the sun, exposure to the, sun, the sunrise sun, the sun, the sun rising, and you've developed better muscles. Isn't it better for you to have done that? Yes, it is. Sometimes we expect a tremendous, miraculous result from God, when all God is saying, just go through the process, follow the plan. It might do something for you, the result you're expecting might not be what God has intended, but God wants us to somehow still be willing to follow the plan. And this is what the Lord did with Joshua. So, looking at this, we find that it pays to believe in God. 
And then we find that Rahab was saved because she believed in, in God, believed in the promise of God. In the last part of the chapter, chapter 11, you'll find that thousands down through the ages have responded to God's promises with faith and have seen him do great wonders. But there's a, a group of believers at the last part. Let's go to um, verse 36 of chapter 11. The Bible says, and others. After he had talked about those who had great achievements by faith, then he comes to these others. We don't know who they are. Don't know their names. But the Bible says others had trial, uh, had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. Were tempted. Were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in and caves of, earth, of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Sometimes we think that believing in God and having faith in God somehow always ends up in great victories. Sometimes it doesn't. Look at these people. What did they get for their faith? They were killed. They were tortured. They had a good report before God. And God says the world is not worthy of them. While the world might be mocking them, while the world might be saying they are losers. Yet God is saying, you know what? It doesn't matter what the world says. As far as I'm concerned, you're okay. They did not get the promise. Yet they pleased God. That is faith. By the way, blessings, whether they are spiritual or physical, are consequential to faith. Faith is the victory. You believe God, you are victorious. Whether or not you'll be healed from your sickness, whether or not you'll get to pay off your debts, whether or not you'll get a good job, whether or not you'll succeed at your career, whatever you are aiming to do or hoping to have in your life, if that doesn't happen, and yet through the process of time, you simply believe in the word and in the promises of God, you are in the sight of God successful. That is living by faith. Then, by, 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 by the way, May I just say this? God honors faith that honors him. Eventually, if not in your lifetime, eventually God will honor the faith you are now showing before him. I've heard of a missionary who during his lifetime endeavored and tried and preached and labored and he saw he saw no converts. He died thinking he was a failure. When he was dead, after he died, years later, without him realizing it, there were over 100,000 converts in that same nation where he preached at. In fact, the first Bible ever, ever translated in an Asian language, I think, was a Burmese Bible. And that's where the influence of Adoniram Judson. He didn't think he had any success. But because he simply believed in God, God 
took him home, and there he found what he has done on earth, found success in the sight of God. So, that is, if you like, what faith is described and exemplified by this man. Now let's look at, just in closing, some of the reasons why faith is important. The functions of faith. I believe that in Romans 8.28, the Bible is there, and some of these verses are familiar with you, to you. The Bible says in Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. So two questions here tonight. Do you love God? Do you believe you are called according to his purpose? Then do you realize that faith calms your fears? Because it makes you realize that all things work together according to his plan. So faith calms our fears. We are humans and we are prone to fear the unknown. But when you know that God is in control, fear will be dispelled. Faith cushions our falls. It comforts us. In 1 John 1, 9, we are told that if we confess, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the Bible says also in the book of Psalms that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So if we, if we are trusting God on a daily basis, even when we fail, we know that he cushions our fall. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him in his hand. The Lord will not leave you alone. By the way, in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, the Bible says there, the Lord promising his disciples, I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Faith somehow confirms our future. It gives us assurance. That yes, things on this, uh, on this earth might not be in accordance to our liking, yet we are assured of a better place. And to us, that is as, as guaranteed as, as real, that it is our possession now. Some people think of heaven as a pie-in-the-sky promise. But sometimes we just need to feel that that's, we just need to know that it is ours already. It is a, a real guaranteed promise. It is ours now. We need to start experiencing heaven on earth. Faith claims God's finest, meaning to say that faith doesn't gorge itself on the slop of the world. Faith can aim higher. In, in South America and in, in the Latino culture, I guess this is true in the Philippines as well, when people do not have a high standard of they don't have a high goal or high expectation of a certain thing. The Spanish people would say, yes, está bien. In Tagalog, okay na yan. That's fine. And sometimes it is reflected in their uh, worshipmanship in some of the houses they build. I look at them and I'd say, yeah, could use a little bit more of refinement. Could have paint, some tiling. It would look nice then. But many of them would say, ah, it's fine. Está bien mañana. And some Christians are used to walking like ducks. 
and are used to the mud and the worms of this world, they forget that they are eagles. That God wants them to rise above the clouds and the winds of adversity and be like eagles, mounting up with eagles with wings, running and not being weary, walking without fainting as they wait upon the Lord. God wants us to somehow be challenged to aim higher in our walk and in our worship and in our service for God and not be satisfied with the status quo. Instead of asking, Lord, or instead of saying, Lord, that's all I can do, we should be asking, Lord, what else do you want me to do? What else do you want me to be? Where else do you want me to go? Because faith claims God's finest, gives us courage. Faith challenges our failures. What I mean by that is that faith believes, faith says that we can be all that God wants us to be. Even when our enemy says, that's all you can be. That's all you can do. That's all who you are. We can say like the Apostle Paul, I can do all things through Christ. I cannot be a missionary. I grew up in a fine home. I've been raised in fine surroundings. For me to give these things up and go to a foreign field somewhere where I would have to live in substandard dwellings, I cannot do it. Sure you can. Because the apostle Paul said, in whatsoever state I am, there would to be content. When there was hunger, he learned how to be hungry. When there was blessing, he learned how to be full. When he talked to, to, to royalty and the, the nobles of his day, he knew how to approach them at that level. He knew how to condescend to people of low state. And he says, for, for, because he can do all things in the power of Christ. And then lastly, faith calls our friends. It brings validation to our life. Faith says to those around us, that are doubting our God, that he can do in their life what he's doing in our lives as well. Faith reaches out to those in sin. It, teach, it teaches them that it is possible for someone to break free from the, their enslavements, from their addictions, and from the uh, situations that torment their lives. It is possible for, for families to still come together. It's still, it is still possible for marriages to be healed. It is still possible for, uh, for erring and rebellious children to be brought back to God as God begins to, to demonstrate those things in our lives. It helps those people who are criticizing our lives to realize, hey, it pays to trust in God. God's will is that we live by faith. Not a blind leap in the dark, thinking that maybe this is what God wants me to do when it is really the desire of my heart, not God's will. God doesn't want us to live by a, by a blank check of misinformed desires, thinking that just because some prosperity gospel preacher said somewhere that, by the way, I was trying to get my van fixed one day. It so happened that the, the, the shop owner is a Pentecostal guy. He says, oh, this is preacher, we should fix your vehicle. It should be the nicest vehicle in town because you are a man of God and you deserve the best things in life. The man of God should be driving the best car around. I said, wow, I wish, I wish your words becomes, become true. Can you pray that God would change my vehicle into a Mercedes-Benz? I guess it didn't have enough power to do it. 
But they believe that somehow that the man of God should not suffer. That is a misinformed idea. Jesus said, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. Now, I don't I mean to say that the Christian life is all about suffering. Just in case you're wondering, oh, is it worth it to be, become a Christian then? Can I tell you something? God has never failed me yet. God is so good, I have no regrets. Day after day after day, as I look at my life, I say, God, you know what? It is worth to serve Jesus. You know, there's a song that says, it will be worth it all when we see Christ. Can I tell you, it is worth it now. We find that God wants us to live a life of a deep, settled assurance that what God does, what God has said in his word, he would do. He is more than and he is more than able and is willing to do the things that he has promised he would do in our lives. So, as the Bible says, faith is, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So my question to you is this. Are you living a life that is pleasing to the Lord? Well, where do I begin? Believe in God. Jesus said, believe also in me. Have a simple childlike faith. Just trust the Lord. Just live by faith.